would go ahead and open up to the book of Psalms, the book of Psalms in chapter 14, book of Psalms in chapter 14. Uh, Charles Spurgeon uh, gave this particular psalm the title, Concerning Practical Atheism, Concerning Practical Atheism. And according to numerous studies and surveys in recent years, atheism is on the rise in Western civilization. It's particularly true in Europe and in Canada and increasingly so here in the United States. Uh, the trends are the same. The, the, the rising generation has less faith than the previous generation, which had less faith than the generation before them. Uh, there is a rising number of those who are outright atheists, those who claim the title atheist, but there's an even larger number of people who are simply classified as nuns, N-O-N-E-S. That is, they simply claim no religious affiliation, uh, their lives are intensely secular, God is just not significant in who they are, the way they think, or the way they live. Now, a few years ago, the Huffington Post, a well-known, well more liberal uh, internet uh, website, ran an article called Five Pretty Good Reasons to Be an Atheist. Uh, the author was Stax Roche, and he summarized many of the main points, really, uh, that celebrity atheists have been giving over the last few years so here are the reasons why they argued you should be an atheist. Uh, first, they argued that the Bible is ridiculous. A uh, man gets swallowed by a fish and survives. People come out of their tombs when Jesus is crucified. There are giants and talking donkeys and plagues from the sky. And along with that, they argue that the God of the Bible, and particularly the God of the Old Testament, is a uh, fanciful, fearful, mythological God. Uh, Richard Dawkins famously said that the God of the Old Testament is, quote, arguably the most unpleasant character in all of fiction. He is jealous and proud of it. He's a petty, unjust, unforgiving, control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleansing, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. That was Dawkins' take on the God of the Old Testament. The second reason that they give why we should be atheists is they say, quote, we don't need no stinking deities. That is... Thanks to science, we no longer need religion to give us explanations of why things are the way they are. They suggest that science can give us better and more satisfactory answers. The argument says that the ancient gods of mythology 
existed only because those people didn't have the scientific knowledge that we have today. Uh, Dawkins says, we are all atheists about most of the gods that humanity has ever believed in. Some of us just go one god further. So he argues that none of us believe in the mythological gods of the ancient Greeks or the ancient Romans. Why not just go ahead and not believe in any god at all? Well, then third, they point to the problem of evil. Uh, Put simply, if there is a god who is all good and all powerful, then how can evil exist? Either he wants to do away with evil, but he can't, which means he's not all powerful, or he can do away with evil, but he doesn't do so, which means they say he's not all good. And so if God either can't destroy evil or won't destroy evil, then they suggest that this all good, all powerful God must not exist. Fourth, they said that we should become atheists because of the doctrine of hell. Uh, The article said it this way. He said, the concept of hell is probably one of the most disturbing religious ideas ever conceived by man. It was great to strike fear in the hearts of evildoers back in the day, but today our morality has evolved quite a bit. We no longer view women as property, nor do we consider slavery a valid business model. Most people recognize that torture is wrong, and yet we're expected to believe that some deity will torture us for all eternity if we don't believe he exists on insufficient evidence. And then finally, the author argues that we should be atheist because there just isn't any valid, verifiable evidence that a God exists. Here's how the author tries to use logic to make his points. Here's his attempted logic. He says, the fact is we are all agnostics. We don't know for sure whether any deities exist. There is no evidence for the existence of any deities. There is no good reason to believe that any deities actually exist. And so without any valid reason to believe that any deities exist, I don't believe they exist, he says, and you shouldn't either. He says, because we are all agnostic, we should also all be atheists. So, how do you respond to this growing tide of atheism in our land? Did any of those arguments make you uncomfortable? Did any of those arguments make you doubt your faith? Do any of those arguments make you feel a little insecure or angry? Uh, Mount Hermon, I would suggest that those arguments should only remind us of how terrible it is to be living life in this world still in darkness. Um, People use those kinds of arguments thinking that they're solid, feeling their way around in the darkness because they've never had the lights turned on. And we should pity such people and we should remember that we were once such people. Whether you ever claimed to be an atheist or not, you were once in darkness. We should love such people. We should pray for such people. So we're going to take a little bit of time before we come to the Lord's table thinking about the folly of atheism. Psalm 14 is about atheism. 
verses 1 through 3 are about the moral fruits of atheism. Verse 4 is about the tendency of atheists to persecute those who believe. Verses 5 and 6 are about the Lord's response to the persecution of his people. And then verse 7 is a prayer for God's people. But our focus is on verse 1. You probably know it by heart. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Uh, If you are here this morning and you are not a believer... Don't be offended by the word fool. That word is not intended as an insult, a put down, or anything like that. It is intended as a strong word, but not as an offensive or cruel word. The Hebrew word fool refers to someone who is religiously and morally blind. It refers to someone still in darkness... They're unwise, but they're also unknowing, and therefore they make poor decisions. So look first at the assertion, right? There is no God. Why does our verse say that the person who makes this assertion, there is no God, why does our verse say that that person is a fool? That is, they are morally blind. They are in darkness. Well, a few reasons that we can give. First, atheism is rationally foolish. And it is rationally foolish because logic demands that there be a God. Uh, Logic says nothing can come from nothing. So if there is something now, there has to be a first something, an eternal something from which everything else comes. If there was ever a time when there was nothing, then there would still be nothing today because nothing can't produce something. Nothing isn't isn't space, empty space. Empty space is still something, okay? Nothing is nothing. And if there was ever nothing, there would not be anything today. So if there is something, and there is, there's you and me in this room, and there's the world, and there's the universe, then there has to be a first eternal something that's the only rational explanation that's been affirmed and verified by thinkers for for thousands of years, Aquinas, Anselm, and Genesis, when one tells us what that first eternal something was and is, when it says, in the beginning, God. When there was nothing else, There was God. Uh, Second, atheism, scientifically foolish. Um, Despite the bold language that people use, the idea that science supports atheism simply doesn't hold up. Um, Indeed, if there was no God, the very principles on which science is based would fall apart. Uh, Consider the view that seems to be growing in popularity among atheists in our day. It's the view, okay, yes, there had to be an eternal something. If there was ever nothing, there would still be nothing. So something has to be eternal. But maybe it's not a God. Maybe the universe itself is eternal. In other words, maybe this universe has always existed in some form or another. Matter and energy is all that really exists. And that's all that has ever existed. And in this view, as you may remember from science class, 
There was a time, E equals mc squared, when all mass was energy. Everything was just energy. And it was all tightly constrained in a, in a point. And all of a sudden that point burst forward and the energy, big bang, right? Energy spread out and as the energy slowed down, the energy began to turn into mass and lucky us, it turned into us. What does that require the atheist to believe? It requires the atheist to believe that life comes from non-life. Uh, at the Big Bang, there was no such thing as a living being, only energy. But once the Big Bang happened, as energy began to slow down, matter formed, stars formed, planets formed, moons formed, asteroids formed, trees began to form, right? Rivers, water, living beings, somehow non-living matter produced living matter. And yet, if you're a scientist, you use observation to draw scientific conclusions. That's what science is what experimentation is, right? You use observations to draw conclusions. Think about your observation. Have you ever seen life come from non-life? It just doesn't make sense. Which is more likely, that at the beginning of our universe, an eternal, lifeless energy produced life, or that there is an eternal, living being from whom life comes? One just makes more scientific sense than the other. Or think about the fact that you have intelligence. Where did intelligence come from? I mean, we, we sit here this morning with brains. We can comprehend. We can understand complex ideas. Can intelligence come from non-intelligence? The atheistic worldview says that intelligence evolved, that over time, no intelligence became a little intelligence, which became more intelligence. But does observation bear that out? Can intelligence come from an eternal collection of compressed matter and energy, or does it not make more sense to say that intelligence comes from one who is an eternal living being with all intelligence? Uh, what about order? The atheist has to believe that order came out of chaos. Um, the classic illustration, if I were to take a million Scrabble tiles and I were to shake them up in a gigantic something that could hold a million Scrabble tiles, okay, and, uh, and I turn it over and they all come pouring out, what is the chance that they're going to pour out in a way that I have the book Moby Dick? There's no chance of that. Chaos doesn't produce Order, And yet atheists have to believe that all the order in the universe, the coherence, the consistency of the earth's systems, the way everything seems to work together for life, the way history unfolds and patterns, it's, the atheist has to believe it's all happenstance and it's all random. Uh, some atheists suggest that maybe there's an infinite number of universes. And in an infinite number of universes, there has to be one like ours, where all of these things just happen to fall into place. And so again, it's the aren't we lucky approach. Aren't we lucky that out of an infinite number of universes, we didn't end up in the vast, 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 vast majority of those where there's no life, no intelligence, and no, no order. 
No, in reality, atheism is scientifically foolish. It's also morally foolish. I don't know if you noticed that the article I quoted at the beginning kept making moral statements. What about the problem of evil? What about that wicked God of the Old Testament who judges people? What about that terrible place called hell? Surely a God who would torture people in hell must be an evil God. But here's the problem. If there is no God, how can you even use words like evil? How can you assign something as good and something as evil? What does it even mean? Without a God, there is no objective good. There is no objective evil. There's only changing human opinions. There's only changing human feelings. What I don't like, I call evil. I don't like that Old Testament God judging people, so I call him evil. I don't like that doctrine of hell, so I will call it evil. But it's all relative. And if someone else happens to like those things, they call it good. And maybe in the next stage of evolution, we'll think differently and have new ideas about what's good and what's evil. And so there's no fixed morality. It's always changing. The writer mentioned how women were mistreated in the Bible. How slavery existed in the Bible. But how can an atheist declare any of those things wrong? As Christians, we have the very pronouncements of God that tell us right from wrong. We have a basis to say that the mistreatment of women is wrong. We have a solid reason to say that any economic system that demeans the dignity of, every, of any human being is evil. We can say that based on the belief in a God who has spoken. On what basis can the atheist say those things? When two people disagree on whether something is right or wrong, where can the atheist go to find an answer? It ultimately has to be majority rules or he who has might. It's to choose the right. The very fact that atheists continue to speak in terms of good and evil reveals that deep down these categories are planted deep in their hearts. And these categories of good and evil are nothing less than absolute evidence of God. Because when we speak of that which is good, we are speaking of the character of God. And when we speak of that which is evil, we are speaking of that which is opposed to God's character. The very knowledge of the nature of God is written in all men's hearts. So that as soon as atheists start speaking in moral terms, they are betraying the reality. And what is the reality? And the reality is that there's no such thing as a true atheist. Uh, Romans 1 verse 18 for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Listen carefully. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. And so while atheists don't believe in the Bible, the Bible also doesn't believe in them. 
that is according to the scriptures, there is no such thing as a bona fide atheist. Rather, there are people who suppress the truth about God that deep down they know and they don't want to acknowledge God. They don't want there to be that God because they hate that God. They want to be their own God. They want to live their own life, their own way. C.S. Lewis famously said, even when I was an atheist, I hated God. Even when I was an atheist, I hated God. Did you notice that in our verse, Psalm 14, verse 1, The verse says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. In other words, the person in view here is not just the person who is out in public making declarations of atheism. The person in view here is the person who's speaking to himself. He's trying to convince himself. In his heart, he doesn't want there to be a God. He wishes there was no God, and he's looking for ways to justify that desire. The person grabs hold of arguments, no matter how weak the arguments are, and he uses those arguments to suppress the truth in his own soul. And so let me be very clear. This passage is not about a select group of people who call themselves atheists. Psalm 14.1 is about us. It's about every human being in the world. It's about every natural person, man, woman, boy, girl, walking in darkness, who we were before we were saved, still choosing darkness. And the reality is God is showing him Self to us everywhere. You cannot look up, you cannot look down, you cannot look around and not see evidence of the eternal God, the creator, the designer, the great mind behind all that is. God's creativity, his wisdom, his power, it's on display everywhere. He's even planted the knowledge of himself within you. It's really fascinating. I was reading about this the other day. As atheists have tried to spread their message Do you know the hardest audience has been to convince that there is no God? Children. Little children. Studies have shown that children are are resistant to a message of atheism because it seems so contrary to what they just inwardly and innately know and understand. And it's only as children become adults, as they grow, as sin increases in their lives, that they become more and more open to the claims and the arguments of atheism. And yet all of us, every one of us, when we want to sin, and when we want to sin with no guilt, we play the fool, don't we? We try to convince ourselves, at least in that moment, God isn't here, God doesn't see, there will be no day of judgment. And yet there he is the whole time. And that day of accounting is coming. In that sense, atheism is also just practically foolish. Uh, By that I mean simply that the atheistic worldview is less encouraging, less wonderful, and less desirable than the worldview of Christianity. In that moment when you're being tempted to sin and you try and convince yourself there is no God, there's no God looking over me, it's just this world and therefore I can run into this sin, you are embracing a worldview that will not satisfy and will not fulfill. Many atheists tried to deny this. Um, 
Richard Dawkins, again, very famously, tries to pretend that the worldview of the atheist is actually a better, more beautiful worldview than the worldview of Christianity. And over and over, I've heard his same point made by many others. And here's what they say. They say, since we were all once energy in the Big Bang, and then that Big Bang shot forward, and and the same uh, energy that became stars and planets and things eventually formed you, they say, you're stardust. Isn't that amazing? You're stardust. Isn't that beautiful? But of course, in their worldview, that is all that you are. And you're here for a tiny speck of time, and then you're gone. And your life has no eternal meaning or purpose. We have picked on Bart Ehrman from this pulpit many, many times. UNC Chapel Hill, uh, chair of the religion department, on his mission to prove that the Bible isn't reliable. But since I've picked on UNC so many times, today's the time I get to pick on Duke. And Brian's not here, so that's good. I feel even better about about doing that. So over at Duke University, we have Alex Rosenberg, and he's the chair of the philosophy department over at Duke University. He's also one of the nation's most prominent and outspoken atheists. And I appreciate Dr. Rosenberg because here's what's unique about him. He is just brutally honest about what it means to be an atheist. He doesn't try and hide the implications of his worldview. He just says it bluntly. So this is uh, his most famous book, The Atheist's Guide to Reality, Enjoying Life Without Illusions. Okay? And at the beginning of his book, he goes ahead and gives an outline of what he's going to say through a series of questions and answers. It's like you're interviewing an atheist. What is the true atheistic answer? Just listen as he spells out the atheistic worldview. Is there a God? No. What is the nature of reality? Whatever physics says it is. What is the purpose of the universe? There is none. What is the meaning of life? Ditto. Why am I here? Just dumb luck. Does prayer work? Of course not. Is there an immortal soul? Are you kidding? Is there free will? Not a chance. By the way, just explain that one real quick. Most people in the universities today, especially those in the hard sciences, are convinced that you only do what your um, atoms, what your cells, what your, uh, your genes uh, will for you to do as part of your evolution. So that the decisions you make that you think are of your own free will are actually being triggered by the genes within you so that you actually are no more than a robot doing what you've been programmed and designed to do, reacting to your experiences and environment. So is there free will? Not a chance. What happens when we die? Everything pretty much goes on as before, except us. What is the difference between right and wrong and good and bad? There is no moral difference between them. Why should I be moral? Because it makes you feel better than being immoral. 
Is abortion, euthanasia, suicide, paying taxes, foreign aid, or anything else you don't like forbidden, permissible, or sometimes obligatory? Atheist answer? Anything goes. What is love and how can I find it? This is really romantic, folks. This is his, the atheist answer to what is love. Love is the solution to a strategic interaction problem. Don't look for it. It will find you when you need it. Basically, he argues that love is a biological and social product that has evolved to help you pass on your genes. Put that in your next Valentine card. Does history have any meaning or purpose? History is full of sound and fury. It signifies nothing. Does the human past have any lessons for our future? Fewer and fewer if it ever had any to begin with. So again, I, I appreciate that. He's honest. He's an atheist who has thought through what it means to be an atheist. And he just tells the truth. And then the rest of his book unpacks those answers. And then tries to show how you can still find some happiness in that kind of a world. Not only is atheism rationally, scientifically, and morally flawed, it gives you a meaningless life. Uh, not only does your life have no purpose, no one's life has purpose in an atheistic worldview. History has no purpose in an atheistic worldview. This is where atheism takes you. This is why it is the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. And I can't help but think of Another quote by C.S. Lewis, probably my favorite. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun is risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. In other words, one of the great realities of Christianity is that it not only brings us to know Christ himself, which is above everything else, to know Jesus Christ, but then once we know Christ, suddenly everything else begins to have meaning and purpose and answers value, dignity. When we come to Christ, it's as if the lights really are turned on in the room. And suddenly, when we were feeling around, doing our best to make sense of things, now we can actually see them as what they are. And things begin to make sense. Belief in God is rational. It is scientific. It provides a moral standard for us that is unchanging and, perf and perfect. More than that, the Bible gives me the best explanation of anywhere I've ever found of why I am the way I am. Why do I have conflicting desires within me? Why are people so prone to evil acts? How do I make sense of doing what I don't want to do and not doing what I want to do? The Bible's anthropology, its teaching on man and the essence of man makes a million times more sense than the evolutionary perspective given by atheism. And then there's another reason, one last reason that we need to mention why atheism is foolish. And it's simply this. As long as I pretend that there is no God, I am keeping myself from his grace and his love and his mercy. Every day that a person says in his heart that there is no God is another day when he is coming closer to the day of judgment. And if you're a criminal... And you have broken the law of the king. 
And the king has established a day when you must suffer the consequences for your crimes. But he's also given you a short period. When if you will confess your crimes and give your allegiance to the king, you will be forgiven. And the time is ticking. And the days are passing. It is foolish to walk around saying to yourself, there is no king, there is no king, there is no king. Jesus Christ came to this world to make very clear there is a king. And it is through him, his life, his death, his resurrection, that he has made the way of salvation for sinners. God has surrounded you with evidences of himself, not only in creation, but in the Bible itself. And these people around you in this message coming to you this morning, don't ignore what's right in front of your face. Don't ignore the opportunity to know the God of love and mercy. The worldview of atheism offers you no hope. The worldview of atheism offers you no meaning. But Christ is the truth. And he is hope. And he is life. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will begin to understand why Christians say, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. I was blind, but now I see. Amen?